Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, hello. So today we have Ruby here, and Ruby is an equine nutritionist, and she also has a small business that produces nutraceuticals. And would you like to tell us some about yourself and about your business? Yeah, so I think you kind of covered the, the big stuff. I'm a, an equine nutritionist, um, and I focus on holistic equine nutrition. Um, and I have, we just started this nutraceutical horse supplement company. And I'm also, I have two horses of my own. They're both rescue horses. One's a three-year-old Andalusian that I've had since she was a couple months old. And then the other is a eight-year-old uh, paint horse that has been severely traumatized. So I'm, um, I've been listening to your podcast a lot, actually, for training tips and positive reinforcement training tips for him. So that's been kind of cool. And then we're mostly here, I guess, to talk about nutrition and nutraceuticals today. So a nutraceutical, for those that aren't familiar, is a food or something that is derived from food, but still in a very natural state that is fed for a particular health intention or purpose. So an example is my introduction to nutraceuticals was back when I was in high school, I was showing my dressage horse and he started to develop arthritis and the sort of common thing to do in that situation is to put your horse on a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. But when you're showing, you can't keep them on non-steroidal anti-inflammatories during the show. That's illegal. So we'd have to take him off the medication and then he would be in pain when we were showing, which to me felt really wrong. So I started doing some research and I found that turmeric is uh, also a really powerful treatment for arthritis as well. And it's something that you can use while you're showing. And so I started him on turmeric and I saw pretty much the same result that I saw from the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And that kind of started me down this road toward like learning more about equine nutrition and becoming a nutritionist and then focusing mostly on nutraceuticals. That's awesome. That sounds a lot like how a lot of us get into positive reinforcement training, like kind of something happens that isn't really working with the traditional way. So then we kind of look for an alternative way that can work better. I guess a question that I would have is what's the difference between nutraceuticals and a supplement? Like, are they kind of the same thing or like categories within each other? Yeah. Um, so I kind of think of a nutraceutical as sort of bridging the gap between a supplement and a pharmaceutical. So it's kind of a, a little bit more targeted than a general supplement. Typically they're fed because you're seeing something specific in the horse, like for example, the joint health problems or poor hoof health or ulcers. And you're trying to target it from a nutritional standpoint rather than a pharmaceutical standpoint. But really it is kind of in the same vein as supplements. Um, it's just a little bit more targeted and fed with a little bit more intention than kind of something that you would just like feed your whole barn, for example. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So would you wanna maybe tell us about some examples? I you already gave one, but maybe just some different things that are nutraceuticals. Yeah, so we have, right now we have three. We're, we're hopefully gonna be expanding our product line in the near future, but right now we have chia, turmeric, and kelp. So I kind of already touched on the turmeric as an anti-inflammatory, something for arthritis, but it also, because it's such a powerful anti-inflammatory, can also be used for horses with um, digestive inflammation. So horses with ulcers or other kind of like chronic colicers can benefit from turmeric. And then also horses with 
skin and coat inflammation. So horses that have chronic skin and coat conditions. Um, and then there's also some evidence to suggest that it's helpful for immune health. So horses that travel a lot or barns that have horses coming in and out constantly, it can be helpful to feed turmeric um, as an immune boost. And then our turmeric um, is combined with black pepper, which a lot of people, if they fed turmeric in the past and didn't see the result, it's because they were not feeding it with the black pepper. They work together to increase absorption up to 6,000%. So we have just the tiniest amount of black pepper. You can't even like taste or smell the difference, but it's much more bioavailable to the horse that way. So that's kind of the the gist on, on turmeric. And then we have chia, which is our most popular by far. And chia has so many benefits. I don't even know if I could go into all of them right now, but the general, the, the big key points for us are it has really high quality protein and it actually has high levels of limiting amino acids, which means that when you feed chia, you can actually increase the absorption of protein from other sources in your horse's diet. So if they're already eating a high protein diet, but you're still noticing they have poor hoof health or their uh, top line is poor. When you start feeding chia, you might notice those things changing, which is pretty cool. And then chia, because also it has that kind of like slimy gel that forms around the outside, can also be really good for digestion and hydration. And it can also kind of help with like detoxing. It's been suggested to maybe be helpful for horses that sand colic because it has that kind of binding property. And then it's also has a ton of uh, omega-3s, which it actually has more than flax, which is pretty cool. And omega-3s are great for fighting inflammation as well as skin and coat health. And then the final thing that I'll touch on about chia is that it's high in trace minerals like calcium and boron that the horse needs in its diet, but that often are not very bioavailable, meaning the horse can't actually once it eats it, absorb it into the bloodstream. And when it's fed through chia, it's actually more absorbable. So that's pretty cool. And then the final one is kelp. And kelp is really high in iodine. So horses really need iodine for proper metabolic function. Horses that are overweight or underweight really benefit from having iodine supplemented in their diet. And then kelp is also really high, again, in bioavailable forms of trace minerals like biotin, calcium, and iron. And then the really unique thing about our kelp is it can fluctuate really heavily in terms of the potency of some of these different nutrients because it is a sea vegetable and it can be grown in different climates and, and there's a lot of just variability in, in the nutrients available to the kelp. So our kelp is tested for iodine content because that is something you can overdose. So it's really important to know how much iodine is in the kelp you're feeding. And then it's also tested for heavy metals and other toxins that are common in, in sea vegetables. So we can really make sure that those are, are as low as possible for the horses that we're feeding. Awesome, yeah, those all sound really good. So you talked a little bit about how with the kelp, it can, if you don't test for that iodine content, you could potentially overdose on it. With the other ones that you offer, is there that potential of overdosing on it or can you just kind of feed it in you know, decent quantities and there's no danger? Yeah, so because these are all, you know, they, they are natural, they're very safe, but they are all meant for specific health purposes. So the dose is kind of important. You don't want to just like, you know, free feed any of these, but the chia is the safest. There's, there's pretty much no side effect to eating chia. And then the turmeric is also very safe. The only time that you want to be careful with the turmeric is if you're also feeding a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So the common ones are 
Butte and Equiox or Prevacox. Very common, especially for horses with arthritis. And there isn't a whole lot of like hard science about this yet, but there's some suggestion that those might have a negative interaction. So if you're already feeding the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, you either want to switch completely to turmeric or like, you know, not combine those two at the same time. And it makes sense because you're kind of doubling up on the same dose of, of the same function in the body. So you want to just kind of like pick one or the other in that case. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that's that's good information to know. You definitely don't want to be giving too much or, you know, not enough. I'm sure there's a lot of dosage information out there and on the packaging and whatnot. I guess another thing that I have been thinking about is, like you've mentioned, a lot of different things that are necessary for the horse's diet or that can help the horse, like omega-3s and protein and all of these things. Could you maybe just talk a little bit about in general, like what are the things that you would look for in a good, sound, healthy diet for a horse, just, you know, an average healthy horse? Yeah. So um, this is kind of a, it's definitely a broad question. And I definitely am a fan of creating a specific diet for each horse, because depending on age and breed and activity level and where you live and all these things, there can be some variation. But as a general rule of thumb, I I kind of like to look to wild and feral horses at their diet. And what we know about wild and feral horses is that they spend on average 16 hours a day eating, and they eat in that time over 20 varieties of plants, and they walk on average 10 miles. And that's just not when we look at our average domestic horses, how we're feeding them. We tend to feed you know, two or three large meals a day. Um, and we tend to kind of do like, you know, one or maybe two types of forage, like we'll feed, you know, Bermuda hay and alfalfa, for example. And they're just not really like, and they're typically eating standing still often in like a box stall or small paddock. And I think probably a lot of your listeners have maybe a more alternative lifestyle for their horses where they are out and able to move a little bit more freely, which is awesome. But also some important things like I'm a huge fan of having hay available 24 seven because it does kind of um, increase the amount of time that horses are eating. And I think that's like the most important thing you can do for your horses, make sure that they have access to really high quality forage all of the time. So some ways that people can do that, you can feed kind of constantly as much as you want. And especially grass hay, you can't really overfeed grass hay. Alfalfa, not so much, you can overfeed. So I'd be a little bit careful on that one, but grass hay, you can just have in abundance all of the time. If that's not an option, you can have a slow feeder, which there are a couple of instances where you wouldn't want to use a slow feeder. For example, if the horse is wearing shoes, they can get caught up in the slow feeder. So you want to watch for that. Or if you're at a barn that doesn't allow slow feeders, that can also become an issue. So the final thing that I'm a huge fan of is these hay and treat balls, which you may have seen that they're like these big, like heavy duty plastic balls that you can stuff with either hay or hay pellets and then that way the horse can kind of like roll it around and have access to hay all the time even if it's not necessarily like in their feeder so that's the biggest one and then the second one that a lot of people don't think about and that I certainly didn't think about for most of my life is minerals so a lot of people like will go to the feed store and grab a bag of minerals and you know give the scoop whatever the the packaging says. And what a lot of people don't realize is that most of those minerals are not bioavailable. So kind of back to that idea we were talking about a minute ago of like making sure that this is something that can actually be absorbed from the digestive system into the bloodstream. 
A lot of these minerals that are sold at feed stores are in inorganic forms. So the body actually doesn't recognize them uh, for their intended purpose and either ends up storing them in organs, which can cause toxicity over time, or it ends up just excreting them, getting rid of them. And both of those things kind of result in like this big question mark of how much of these minerals is my horse actually using that I'm paying all this money for and scooping in their feet every day. There's no way to know how much of it is actually benefiting the horse. So the solution to that is a chelated mineral supplement or organic forms of minerals. And that gets a little bit tricky because you need to kind of know how many different minerals your horse needs to be absorbing if you're going to try to go it alone. But there are some pre-formulated chelated mineral supplements out there that you it's fed just like a regular mineral supplement from the feed store, but it's in bioavailable form. So you actually know your horse is getting all of that. And I can give you guys links to that that you can share with your listeners if that's helpful. But that's the kind of second big thing that I think a lot of people just don't know and can really make a huge difference in their horse's health. Yeah, I agree with that. I've seen a lot of people just going to feed stores and picking up whatever they think is the best. And they might not even really know because that information isn't super accessible to a lot of people, I don't think. That's something I definitely did before. Just walk in, pick up a bag and then call it quits. Like it's good enough, (laughs) but there's so much more to it. And I think the biggest thing I've seen issues with is overloads of iron. Is that something you found to be true too? Yeah, definitely. I actually made that mistake myself. I had a thoroughbred that had like the worst feet in I've ever seen, I think, like in a in a otherwise healthy horse. And I work with a really awesome barefoot farrier and she was like, let me look at your minerals. And this was before I had studied equine nutrition and before I knew what I know now. And she was like, there's way too much iron in this. That's why your horse's feet are like crumbling off. You need to, you know, reduce the iron, which at that time was super surprising to me that that was even an issue that I needed to be looking at. But yeah, definitely iron is overfed. And then the other one that's really surprising that a lot of people don't realize is protein is really overfed oftentimes, because like I mentioned, there's different qualities of protein and a lot of the protein that we feed is low quality and it's so hard on the horse's body to get rid of it. And it's really hard on the the kidneys and, um, if they can't get rid of it, they turn it into sugar. And that's why like a lot of times people feel like alfalfa makes their horse hot because if the quality of protein and the alfalfa that they're feeding is not uh, high enough that the horse can actually use it for normal protein functions, it just turns into sugar and the horse is basically on a sugar high all the time. So it's really, that's another really important one is like looking at protein quality and making sure that you're feeding high quality proteins um, instead of just like, you know, not all protein is created equal, basically. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I personally did not know that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Then I guess another thing that I was thinking too, that I feel like is often misrepresented on a lot of food labels and things like that is like the sugar or NSC content of, you know, it'll say low sugar, low starch and everything. But when you actually look at the label, you see that it actually has pretty high percentage of NSC content. Um, Do you find that to be the case as well? And what tips might you have for people to be able to accurately understand not just the sugar content, but also the other things that you've mentioned with the protein and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So sugar-wise, 
So NSC stands for non-structural carbohydrates. So there's basically two types of carbohydrates. There's, there's the kind of complex carbohydrates that are really fiber. And that's super important for our horses because the way their digestive system works, they rely really heavily on a strong microbiome and that microbiome lives off of fiber. Um, it's true for us too, but it's kind of a different level. Like if we were to like go out in the field and eat a clump of grass, our body would not know what to do with that. But the horse's body like thrives off of that really intense fiber. So that's, that's basically one type of carbohydrate. And then the other type of carbohydrate is a non-structural carbohydrate, which is um, essentially just turns to sugar or it is sugar already. Um, so that can be like anything starchy. Um, most grain is really high in non-structural carbohydrates. So the, what you need to do basically is every feed bag and most supplements and all most treats and all these kinds of things will have a, a label or a category on the label that says NSCs. And that's what you need to look at. And it should be definitely under 15% and, and hopefully under 10% in your horse's total diet. So it's important to like, look at your treat bags, your supplements, your feed bags, and kind of calculate, you know, add up all of those and make sure that all total in your horse's whole diet, it's under 10%. So that's one thing. And then protein wise, there's a couple things you can do. One is like I kind of mentioned before, if you feed high quality proteins like chia, it actually makes the protein in things like alfalfa more bioavailable. There are other things you can use too, like sunflower seeds are a really common one. But basically what you're doing is you're increasing the amounts of certain amino acids, which allows the horse to use the rest of the protein a little bit more readily. And then the other option is just to reduce the amount of low quality protein like alfalfa there's some people that say horses shouldn't eat alfalfa at all for this reason. Um, I tend to think some horses are okay with some alfalfa and that's where it kind of gets into the nitty gritty of each individual horse's needs. But typically less alfalfa is more just mostly because of that protein issue. But there's so much information out there. It's like kind of hard to know where to start. But I think as long as kind of you're, you're coming from the right place of like wanting to learn more and you're reading the nutrition labels and, and looking at mostly that NSC content you're, I think you're kind of off to a good start already. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click, Treat, Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.